brought us up, who loved us, who put up with us, and we have a great patron. So I pray God for, for my mum and my wife, who's, who's uh, working a good job with our three kids. So we yeah, need God praying for my brothers this morning, uh, this evening, even. I should have done it this morning. Let's begin our service by singing in number 128128. Jesus, the name, high over all, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before his fall, and devils fear.
Well, tonight we're going to be looking at um, Hosea 11. Don't turn there yet. Uh, we'll do that in a minute. Uh, but Hosea 11 is all about God the Father. Funny enough, I first preached this sermon on Father's Day. It just happened to coincide. So um, it is Mother's Day, but I'll be talking about God the Father. Um, so turn to, in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And we'll just read Psalm 103. Um, and look out for the verse in there that, that calls God Father. And then we'll pray. So Psalm 103. A psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth the mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we tonight can call you Father. That, Lord, we have entered into a relationship with you. And, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for that tremendous mercy we've just read about in this psalm. Lord, we thank you that you are merciful, that you're gracious, that you're slow to anger. And the Lord, you're plenteous in mercy. When human beings would give up on someone, when human beings would shun someone, Father, your mercy is just so deep. Lord, we thank you that you've put up with us. We thank you that you've shown mercy to wicked people like us. Lord, we thank you that we can call you Father. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you, Lord, that your anger was poured out on him rather than us. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, as it says there in verse 12 of this psalm, that our sins have now been separated as far as the east is from the west because of Christ. That, Lord, you've buried them in the very depths of the sea and you've forgotten them. That, Lord, when you look at us, you no longer see the rotten things we've done and continue to do. But, Lord, you see the glory and majesty and honour of your own Son, Jesus Christ, our God. Lord, we thank you for your tremendous love to us. Lord, we thank you that you're from everlasting to everlasting. Lord, you've 
you've lent us breath. You've lent us 70 years if we're lucky on this earth. But Lord, we thank you that you've lent us so much more. Lord, because we know that when we do die, Lord, that's not the end. We thank you, Father, that we have a wonderful hope, a sure hope, that after we perish, Lord, you will raise us again, just as you rose Christ. Lord, we thank you that we will, Lord, reign with him forever and ever, that we will see you face to face. Lord, that this earth will be renewed. Uh, Lord, we will enjoy an eternal and wonderful existence when you return. Lord, we thank you that you've prepared your throne in the heavens. Lord, we thank you that, Father, you're a God who rules. Lord, as we see the chaos uh, ripping up the world, as we see uh, a sin, a, a world crippled by sin, a world where the wicked get, seem to get away with it, Lord, we thank you that you're still on the throne. Lord, we thank you that you haven't lost control. Lord, we thank you that you're in total control, that you see everything, and that, Lord, Lord we can trust you because you're good and holy, and we can trust, Lord, that you're going to put it right. Lord, again, we do uh, bring our nation before you, Lord. We see, uh, Lord, at every point, uh, people, Lord, with, with no thought of you, uh, no knowledge of you, walking around in darkness, scrabbling around trying to, trying to make themselves happy, trying to find something to improve their lives, Lord, and all in vain. So, Lord, we do pray that you would have mercy on our land once more. Uh, Lord, we have been blessed so much with material wealth and riches. And yet, Father, that has resulted in spiritual apathy and darkness. So, Lord, we do pray that, Lord, you would breathe new life into this land, Lord, that we would see souls saved. As we preach the gospel, Lord, as we speak to our neighbours, as we hand out tracts, Father, we pray that the gospel, uh, Lord, would, would Lord, do its work, that your light would shine into people's hearts and they would call out to Jesus to be saved. Again, Lord, we thank you for your tremendous mercy to us. Lord, we thank you that you are, are building your church, you're saving people from every tongue, tribe and nation. You've, you've bound us together uh, to be brothers and sisters, united by the Spirit, united by Christ's love for us. Lord, we thank you that we can meet here tonight. Lord, we pray that as we come to your word shortly, that you would bless us. We pray, Lord, that it would speak to our hearts. Lord, that what we hear might encourage us. Lord, as we, we learn more about you, that, Lord, our hearts might, might jump with excitement, that we would be thrilled to hear, what we have to, uh, to hear what you have to say to us tonight. So, Lord, we do ask for your, your presence with us. And, Lord, we, we think of the many other believers meeting right now across the land. We pray, Lord, that as their praise is lifted up, uh, Lord, that they would be blessed, that you would save souls, Lord, that your people would be strengthened and that you would build your church. So, Lord, we pray that in all we do tonight, your holy name might be honoured, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing again. Our second hymn. And our second hymn is number 113, 113. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in.
Turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. Hosea is one of those panicky books where you have to look at the contents page at the front of the Bible. It's on page 800 of your church Bible, if you've got one, just after Daniel. I went through Hosea at my church. It was, it was quite a challenge. It's a challenging book. It was about two years ago. So we're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 11. And we're going to read the first 11 verses of Hosea 11. It says this. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go or to walk taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke of their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refused to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities, and shall consume his branches, and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God's and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord's. Amen. Well, before we look at that passage, let's sing again. Hymn 667, Hark my soul, it is the Lord, tis thy saviour, hear his word. Jesus speaks and speaks to thee, say, poor sinner, lovest thou me.
well, I wonder how well we as Christians know God. How well do we understand him? And that's a big question, isn't it? A Christian, unlike those around us, we claim we've got a relationship with the Almighty. So I want a Christian friend, do you know what God is like? We as Christians believe in a triune God, don't we? The triune God of the Bible. We believe that there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, most of us, I hope, will have a pretty good grasp of who God, of who God the Son is and what God the Son is like, because we have the Gospels. We can read all about the life and teachings and work of Jesus. And of course, we've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, uh, which helps us understand the words. But I wonder, what about God the Father? Do we ever struggle to get to grips with him? Well, our passage here in Hosea is one of the most revealing passages in the whole of the Old Testament when it comes to the person of God the Father. This passage beautifully illustrates what God our Father is like. And that's the title of the sermon and the question we're going to answer this evening by looking at Hosea 11, what is our heavenly father like? Now I'm throwing us in the deep end when it comes to Hosea, I recognise that. So for context, all we need to know are three things. First thing, a bit like this morning, Israel's been divided, it's a divided nation. You've got two tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south, they worship at Jerusalem, they have some good kings, but mostly bad. And then you've got the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, um, and, and they're all corrupt. Now, Hosea prophesies first and foremost to those northern tribes. They're referred to throughout Hosea as Ephraim or Israel. And the third thing we need to know is Hosea's basic message. And it won't surprise you, but it's that they're heading for destruction the Assyrian Empire, Hosea says, is going to invade the land and wipe them out. Why? Well, it's that old chestnut of idolatry, isn't it? The northern tribes have abandoned Yahweh. They've deserted the temple in Jerusalem. And instead, they're worshipping golden calves at Bethel, and they sacrifice to Baal on every hill they can. God sees Israel as his child. But this particular son has gone off the rails. So what has God got to say to him? And what do we learn about God the Father in the process? What is our Heavenly Father like? Well, we've got four points tonight and we'll draw our lessons as we go. First thing we see is that we have a tender father, verses 1 to 4. So let's read verse 1 again. It says this, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. God had chosen this little family of people from among all of the nations of the earth. Abraham's offspring were God's offspring. They were his adopted children. And this is why when he sees them as slaves in Egypt, he can't leave them there. So listen to Exodus 4. God tells Moses, verse 22, Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. So dads, or when you had younger kids, if a, your kid was being beaten up on the way to school by a bully, well, you'd make sure you went out with him and met that bully, wouldn't you? 
and make sure you drove that bully away. And in the old days, you would have given him a clip round the ear for good measure. That's what God does as he rescues his beloved son from Egypt. Verse 2 of Hosea 11, as they called them, so they went from them. So uh, as soon as Israel was called, as soon as God rescued them, they went astray. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. Well, sadly, it doesn't take long for the rescued son to rebel against his father. And this is what toddlers do, isn't it? I used to help clean up at a mums and tots group at my church before COVID hit. And there was this lovely little girl, Luna. She was two. And she'd be determined to escape to the back hall. So as soon as she saw the door open, she would take off. She'd, I don't know what she thought was out there, but she seemed obsessed with it. And Granny would call out, no Luna, no Luna. But she'd just run faster. She'd get scared and just go even faster. She was rebellious. Kids are rebellious, aren't they? And this is how Israel had acted. As soon as their rescue from Egypt was over, as soon as they entered the promised land, they ran away from the father. And they'd worship Baal. We saw that this morning with Jezebel and Ahab. And golden calves. Even at the foot of Sinai, they're worshipping golden calves. But now look at God's tenderness in verse 3. I taught Ephraim also to go or to walk, taking them by their arms. I've just had a little girl and she's currently at that stage. She's learning to walk. She's 10 months old. So she'll pull herself up. And you do. You know, you take them by their arms, and little kids are so funny, and they're clumsy, and you guide them along the floor, and they put their little feet one after the other. And they've got a big smile on their face because they're learning something new. And, of course, with, with a baby learning to walk, you lead them somewhere safe, don't you? You don't walk them in the, into the middle of the A22. You walk them from one end of the room to the other and rest them on the sofa. And that's what God had done for Israel. He'd taken them gently by the hands... He lifted them up from Egypt and led them to safety. End of verse 3. But they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love. My dad used to play football with a member from the church on a Saturday morning at the park. And you know Tim, me, Tim and my older brother, we would cycle around the football pitch with all our mates. And one day as dad's playing football, Tim comes off his bike and I still remember it to his da- this day. He dislocated his thumb. His thumb was at this bizarre, sickening angle. It makes me feel sick. Well, what did my dad do? Well, he instantly stopped playing football, picked Tim up. He was a lot smaller. And he got in the car and he drove him off to King's College Hospital. And Tim was healed. Well, that's what God does. He picks his children up. He doesn't just rescue them from Egypt. He makes sure they're healed. He didn't just rescue the Israelites from Egypt. He permanently destroyed their enemies. Pharaoh's army and his chariots were drowned in the Red Sea. God had decimated the land of Egypt with plagues. And he didn't just lead them to safety. He led them to Canaan. A land, a good land flowing with milk milk and honey. A land of plenty. A land of vineyards and rivers. A land of rest and healing. And look at the end of verse 4. This is what God is like. And I was to them as they that take off the yoke of, of their jaw, on their jaws. Well, what does that mean? Well, another way of saying it, it's an old-fashioned way of saying he lifted the nation to his cheek. So my little girl, Ella, she's 10 months old. And what do you do 
with a little baby. Well, as soon as you see it, you, you pick that baby up, don't you? And you give them a kiss and you cuddle them. You enjoy their, their company. And that's what God has done for Israel. That's what God's done for us. He wants you to feel secure in his arms like a baby feels safe in her father's arms. And at the end of that verse, it says, and I, led, and I laid meat unto them. God feeds them. He provides them with food. Christian friend, I think it's really important that we recognize the tenderness of God, our father. I think as a younger man, I, I used to have the idea that God the Father was the angry person of the Trinity. God's so angry with sin that he's going to dish out punishment. And Jesus, the Son, well, he's the gracious one. Maybe there's still a bit of that idea in us today. We imagine God the Father as completely unapproachable and distant. And of course, we treat God reverently. He's holy. But perhaps we, we, we think God is like an overbearing school prefect. Some of the boys who became prefects at my school, the, the power went to their heads. And every time they saw a little year seven with his shirt untucked, they'd pull him into the deputy head and he'd get in trouble. Well, Christian friend, is that how we see God the Father? Cold, brutal. He's just waiting for you to mess up so he can stamp you down. Well, understand the intimate relationship that we have with him. Every time I'm handed my little daughter, I can't help myself, I've got to kiss her little cheeks and smell her little head, baby's head smell great, and hold her little hands. And I'd do anything for her. And that's how God sees every one of his children here tonight. That's how he sees you. You're the most precious thing in the universe to him. In fact, he, he's going to recalibrate the whole earth because of us. And look, if you're not a child of God here tonight, well, understand this. God warmly invites you into this close relationship. You can get to know him. You don't have to be distant. You can have this when you come to the Father through Jesus, the Son. <coughs> Sorry. The second point, we see a broken-hearted Father, verses 5 to 8. <coughs> because Israel, the Son, has gone after idols, there are consequences. And these verses are about punishment. But the tone here is one of sorrow. This is not an angry father who's lost his temper and is beating his son. No, these are the groans of a dad who watches his son driven away in the back of the prison van. Verse 5, he shall not return into the land of Egypt and the Assyrians shall be his king because they refuse to return. Remember, they used to be slaves in Egypt, but they won't be going back there to be slaves, no, Hosea says, God says through Hosea, instead Assyria are going to come and rule over them. And Assyria are going to decimate them. Look at verse 6. The sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. Little kids often have big plans, don't they? My son's into dinosaurs and he's always telling me that when he's older, he's going to create a real life Jurassic Park. He's going to bring the dinosaurs back using science. He's got big plans. Well, Israel had big, big plans, but their big problem was that they didn't involve God the Father in them. They listened to their own counsel. They did things according to their own ideas. So God was going to bring their schemes to an end. Verse 7, And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. 
bit of a strange translation uh, with this verse. Different translations do different things. But the best way of reading it is saying that the Israelites were not an irreligious people, says God. They look up, they call to the most high. But the problem is they're calling to Baal. They're looking to the higher places to Baal for help, but they're calling to the wrong master. They're calling to a false god. So the real master, their father, will not come to their aid. It says, none at all would exalt him. So they're calling up to the Most High, but no one's going to lift them up because they're not calling to God. But as I said, God is not happy with this state of affairs. Look at verse 8. He's, he's broken hearted. And we start to hear the, the anguish in the Father's voice. He begins to question himself almost. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? You're my adopted son and I love you. But now God's got to take this kid back to the orphanage. This kid's too feral to survive in a normal family. He says, how shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? Now, Adma and Zeboim were two of the five cities destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. Cities that were wiped off the face of the earth and covered by the Dead Sea. And now as God sees the northern tribes heading to exactly the same fate, well, his heart's broken. Well, Christian friend, do you remember back in 2011 when Osama bin Laden was tracked down and dispatched by the American Special Forces? And you remember President Obama came out, didn't he? And he said, we got him. And outside the gates of the White House, if you remember, happy Americans gathered and they chanted, USA, and they swung their flags and they were jubilant. Jubilant because a terrorist had got his comeuppance. Well, is that what God does when sinful people die and are punished? Does he rub his hands with glee when people die and go to hell? Is there flag waving in heaven when someone, even someone as evil as Osama bin Laden or an ISIS terrorist, is snuffed out. Well, Christian friend, understand this, and this might be hard for us to accept. God isn't like that. God is not like us. In fact, he says that in verse 9. He says, for I am God and not a man. So he doesn't think like us. He doesn't act like us. His emotions run deeper than ours. And as we saw this morning, the pouring out of God's wrath is not something he relishes. Now you might say, oh, Stevie, what about all those bits in Revelation where we read Jesus triumphing and angels singing because the enemy has been defeated? Well, yeah, there's going to be rejoicing in heaven because we're on the winning side and because peace will finally rule throughout the earth. But peace can only arrive when wickedness has been subdued. But that does not mean God's cruel, does it? The executioner has to pull the lever on the gallows, does so because he's committed to justice, not because he's a, he's a sadistic maniac. And it's the same with God's. He's a compassionate, loving father. And our sin breaks his heart, and he reluctantly punishes those who refuse to repent. And again, if you're not a believer here tonight, if you haven't repented, then sadly you're on a collision course with God. Don't force him to punish you. He doesn't want to. Instead, call out to Jesus and be saved. What is our father like? Third point, he's a merciful father. 
verse 8 to 9. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. When the father sees what's going to happen to the northern tribes, it hurts him. He recoils that he's turned, his heart turns, he doesn't want to do it. And again, Hosea paints a picture of a tug of war, doesn't he? Between the father's pursuit of justice and his pursuit of mercy. When God sees the punishment that he knows he needs to inflict, well, he's conflicted. He says, all my my compassion is aroused. You must have had this. You want to discipline your kids or your grandkids. And so you, you give them a smack or you take away their PlayStation these days. But then you see them broken and hurt. And your compassion wells up inside you. And you think, what was I too harsh on them? And you want to bless them and hug them, but you know that for your own good, you need to be firm. And verse 9 is interesting, isn't it? Look what it says. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. Now, don't misread this. God's not saying Israel's not going to be punished. We know from history that they were. The Assyrians did come in and wipe them all out. But he will be merciful. He's not going to completely blot out everyone from the northern tribes. A tiny, tiny remnant are going to survive, perhaps just a few families. So listen to 1 Chronicles 9, verse 1 to 3. It says this, Judah was taken into exile in Babylon, that's the southern tribes, because of their breach of faith. Now the first to dwell again in their possessions, so the first to come back to their cities, were Israel, that's the northern, northern tribes, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants, and some of the people of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, again, they're the northern tribes, and Manasseh lived in Jerusalem. It seems like some of the people listening to Hosea actually repented. And they went to live in Judah, and they escaped the Assyrian destruction. And their descendants, although they were taken to Babylon later on, when the uh, Chaldonians come to get them, they eventually returned along with their fellow Jews. And look at the second half of verse 9. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. Ask yourself, why does God show mercy to the northern tribes? Well, verse 9 is interesting. He says he shows mercy because he's holy. And maybe that's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? We normally associate God's holiness with his purity. So God's pure and he cannot be associated with sin. So he must punish it. But here, God's holiness is marked by his distinctiveness, his otherness. To be holy means to be set apart, to be different. And as I said, normally we think of this difference in regards to sin and purity. God's nothing like us when it comes to sin. He's pure, we're wicked. But here, holiness describes the description, sorry, the distinction between our resentment and God's grace. In short, God is nothing like us when it comes to being wronged. That's the point. He says, I am God and not a man. That's why I'm merciful. See, what's our typical response when someone wrongs us? 
Well, what do we want to do? We want to get revenge, don't we? We're ruthless when it comes to justice. We always selfishly want to get our own back. But the divine response, God's response to being wronged, is to show grace. Listen to what John Newton says. He says, If we had offended men or angels as as we have offended our creator, and they had permission and power to punish us, our case would be utterly desperate. Only he who made us is able to bear with us. All the attributes of the infinite God must, of course, be equally infinite. As is his majesty, so is his mercy. We often think God gets angry with people the way we get angry with people. So, for example, if someone upsets us, we might give them the cold shoulder. But eventually we forget what they've done. Sometimes we can't even remember what they've done. And we're cross. As, uh, we can't remember why we're cross, sorry. And we go back to normal. But God's much more serious about sin than we are. Sin doesn't fade from his memory. He doesn't forget. When we wrong him, he doesn't fly off the handle and get into a bad mood and have to simmer down. No, God's anger is his constant, continued hatred of sin. He's more serious about sin than us, but he's also much more serious about forgiveness than we are. God's forgiveness is not based on how well you treat him. It's not based on how useful you are to his cause. It's not based on the passing or passage of time. Gents, sometimes when you upset your missus, you have to give her time and space to cool down a bit, don't you, before she'll (laughs) forgive you. But not so with God's. The Father is serious about mercy. It's part of his holy character. Thank God that he's nothing like us when it comes to mercy. He's set apart. He's holy. His mercy is reliable and sure. But that does leave us with an unresolved issue, doesn't it? There's a tension because we've got a father who hates sin and he must punish the guilty, even though that breaks his heart every time. But at the same time, we've got a father who, because of his holiness, must show mercy. How does the father balance justice and mercy? Well, a simple answer, which I'm sure you all know, is through his son, Jesus Christ. So listen to Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When they were departed, that's... um, the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt. I have called my son. We've seen, haven't we, that the Israel, the nation, was a disobedient son, constantly rebelling against his father. But God was determined to show mercy. Verse 8, my heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. God says he can't carry on like this, in this struggle with this rebellious kid. This kid doesn't even seem to ever change, but there needs to be change. He says there, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. Do you see the irony? God says, I'm God, not a man. 
I'm the Holy One among you. I will not destroy your cities. I won't come into them. I won't destroy them any longer. But in order to keep that promise, God has to become a man. And so God the Father sends God the Son, the man, Jesus Christ, the Holy One who walks amongst us, God who dwells with us. And on that cross, as Jesus dies, justice and mercy meet, don't they? God's people, that's Israel, that's you and I, the new Israel. Israel is punished for its sin. But the punishment falls on the one obedient son. And in doing that, God can now show mercy to all of his children. Verse 8 of Hosea 11. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? Christian friend, the, the father looked at you and I, and he said, I can't treat Steve Witten like Adma. I can't make Gary or, or Martin like Zeboim. So instead of destroying us, he poured out his wrath on Jesus, the brother who didn't deserve it, the son who'd done nothing wrong. This is how much our father loves us. And I think this should be a real comfort to us, shouldn't it? Especially for those whose biological fathers were useless. I was very blessed. I had a great father, but I know probably some of you, your fathers weren't great. Tyrants or cowards, that's the category bad fathers fall into, isn't it? Well, if that's you tonight, recognise that you've got a father, a dad, a real father. A father who you will see with your own eyes. And a father who loves you more than anything else he's created in the universe. Know that deep in your bones and praise him for it. What is our father like? Well, finally, final point, he's a father who roars, verses 10 to 11. Verse 10, they shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, the children shall tremble from the, tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. And I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Now, I don't know the last time you were down a play park, but round where I am, when it's home time at the play park, it's quite hilarious sometimes, you often see parents struggling to control their children. Harrow's quite posh, so sometimes you'll hear, Sebastian Maddox, time to go. And because Sebastian and Maddox have never been disciplined a day in their life, they just ignore their mother. They just carry on. So they carry on whizzing down the slide or going down the zip wire. You've got kids that are all over the place just ignoring their parents, and mum has to bribe them with olives and brie and pieces of dried pumpkin. There's no ignoring the voice of God, though, is there? His roar is so loud, it crosses continents. When God calls, his children have no choice but to return. Hosea says, they'll come trembling from the west like frightened little birds. From the south in Egypt, from the north, they will return from Assyria. They're going to go into captivity, but they're going to return. And what's the name of the lion who summons them? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it? Whose name means the Lord saves. He's called elsewhere the lion from the tribe of Judah. God not only forgives us through Christ, he gathers us together in Christ. 
He restores our relationship with him and other people. And immediately after Jesus died and rose again, this is precisely what happened, isn't it? So, Acts 2, verse 5, the day of Pentecost, it says this, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, that's the sound of the gospel being preached, the multitude came together and were confounded, because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, aren't all these men, aren't all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our, in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one another, what, saying to one another, what meaneth this? Well, it meant that the lion was roaring. It meant that the words of Hosea were coming to pass. Because God's children from every tongue, tribe and nation, from every direction, were coming back to their father. And as we close tonight, understand, Christian friend, we've got our part to play in this prophecy, don't we? Because every time you share the gospel with a neighbour or a friend, every time you hand out a tract or have those conversations, well, the lion roars. It's the father summoning his children through the son. And actually, I think that's good news for us, isn't it? Because the roar of this lion will not go ignored. God's true children can't help but respond to him. It's a roar that makes us tremble. The, the gospel's frightening, isn't it, at first? It's a roar that, that makes us shake. But actually, it's a roar that brings every lost sinner chosen by him. It brings them home. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are our Father. Lord, we thank you that in Christ... Lord, we find an obedient son, a son that was willing to leave the glory and majesty of heaven and be born in a, in a, amongst animals in a, a tiny part of the world, poor and lowly. Lord, we thank you that Jesus was willing to be obedient. Lord, obedient even to a, a miserable, shameful death on a cross. But Lord, we thank you that Lord, that obedient son, our brother, Lord, has opened the gateway for us. Lord, we thank you that through him we can call you Father. We can come before your throne tonight. We can lift our hands in praise to you. We can come before you with, with our, our pain and our uh, requests and our joy and our sorrow. Lord, and you listen. You care, Lord, because we're your true children. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the irresistible call of the gospel that when God calls, Father, people cannot turn back. They, they cannot ignore it. Lord, we thank you for that call uh, that you called us, that, Lord, you put your Holy Spirit into us, that we might respond in the first place. Lord, we, we thank you for saving us. Lord, we thank you that you've called us into this wonderful family, into this new nation uh, of sons and daughters. Lord, that, 
Lord, you're going to redeem fully, Lord, that we're going to have new bodies and we're going to see you with our own eyes, Lord. We can't wait for that. So, Lord, help us as we, uh, Lord, preach the word, as we share the gospel, um, as a church, Lord, or as individuals, Lord, we pray uh, that you would continue to call lost sinners unto yourself, that we would see souls saved and your name glorified and lifted up. Lord, again, we thank you for Mother's Day, Lord. We pray for our mums, for our, our, our grandmothers as well. Uh, that you would bless them. We thank you for everything they've done for us, for the sacrifices they've made for us. Lord, we pray for those, Lord, who don't, uh, Lord, have particularly good mothers. Lord, there are plenty out there. Um, Lord, we pray that, Lord, they would, Lord, look to you and recognise, Lord, that you are, are more father and mother than any, anyone could ever need. Uh, and, Lord, help them to find their comfort in you. Lord, help us. Uh, help the, the ladies in this church and, and others we know, Lord, to be good mothers, Lord, to those who aren't even their children. Lord, we're a community. Uh, Lord, we are brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and, and fathers and mothers to each other, Lord, to help us to love one another, to serve one another uh, and be there for one another. So, Lord, we thank you uh, for this day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity we've had to sing together, to pray together, to worship you and hear your word. So, Lord, bless us now. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing our final hymn. Our final hymn is hymn number 60. 60. God of the covenant, triune Jehovah, marvel of mercy, adoring we see, seeker of souls in the councils eternal, binding thy lost ones forever to thee.
Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.